Koinonia, Christian Fellowship, Communion with God and with Fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. I'm Tom Brown, and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. Glad to have you with us. In the studio with me today is my good friend Harvey Shank, a man who loves God. He's been a employee of the Phoenix Suns, one of their vice presidents for many, many years. Uh, Harvey, good to have you with me. Thanks, Mark. I'm looking forward to being here. Um, Harvey, not a lot of people um, remember the last interview we did with you, but um, we're going to cover some old ground and some new ground, but I want you to give a perspective. You were raised in a really interesting family. Tell us about some of your uh, great-great or (laughs) great-grandfathers. Well, um, my great-great-grandfather was R.A. Torrey, and R.A. Torrey um, was an incredible man of God, Uh, a wonderful preacher, an evangelist, traveled all over the world. Um, D.L. Moody brought him in to be the first superintendent at Moody Bible Institute, and then he went out to... Uh, Los Angeles, Biola, Church of the Open Door. He he was. Was he the founder of those? Or uh, he was a, a, a part of them. At the instrumental beginning. in really yeah. getting them off the ground. And and through his family, the family tree. Um, one of my uh, relatives was one of his sons, uh, R. A. Torrey. Uh, I think he was the third. Mm-hmm. Um, we called him Uncle Reuben, uh-huh. and Uncle Reuben was a missionary, uh, Uncle Reuben and Aunt Jeanette, in China, and they were in the in China uh, when Chiang Kai-shek, back in the 30s and mm-hmm. 40s. Uh, he and, was the premier of China, and he got kicked out by Mao and fled and had to go to Taiwan. Right, and they were there during that entire period, and they wow. started a ministry a missionary ministry in in China that they sowed the seeds for the indigenous Chinese people who came to know the Lord that long after they left continued to grow. And as you know... The house church movement of this day. Yeah, it was a house church movement. Uh, And it uh, now today probably more Christians in China than any other place on the face of the earth. Um, and then, um, uh, one of the other, uh, Tories, Archer Tory and his wife, Edith, um, they started Jesus Abbey, which is located on the border between North Korea and South Korea. Wow. And, um, he, he started that, the two of them started that ministry, uh, and people come in and they work and they worship and they uh, they have built an incredible ministry and Archer's son Ben now uh, continues the work. Uh, so there's been a, a a lot of missionaries mm-hmm. uh, in our family and uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad, while well, he was a design engineer. Uh, had an incredible voice, and he uh, would always be the 
the leader of the of the church choir in the mm-hmm. in the churches that we grew up in in, in Northern California. Uh, he was he was my dad was he was connected too. Billy Graham was over at your house one day, wasn't he? We'll tell that story in a minute. My guest is Harvey Shank. He's one of the vice presidents of the Phoenix Suns. He's been a professional baseball player. He's a man that uh, loves Jesus and it's got a story to tell. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and in the studio with me is Harvey Shank. Harvey, you were telling us about some of your relatives, and your parents were pretty well connected in the body of Christ. When Billy Graham came to the Cow Palace, he came to your house, right? It was on a, it was on a Sunday afternoon and back in uh, the 50s, and he had that program on TV called The Hour of Power, mm-hmm. and Billy and several of the team members uh, came to our house uh, to watch uh, the Hour of Power. The reason for the relationship was uh, my mother went to Wheaton College, and she was there with Billy. Really? Yes. So they went to college together and continued that friendship uh, throughout the years. Um, And uh, when... When my uh, folks passed away, uh, we got a very nice note from from Ruth Graham and and Billy saying that they were going to miss him. It was really that's precious. Really sweet. That's really precious. I have to correct one <clears throat> one thing about Archer Archer Tory, <clears throat> the founder of Jesus Abbey. His wife's name was Jane. Jane. So. Um, a lot of people, because Billy Graham hasn't been doing crusades the last few years, don't maybe appreciate the full impact of his ministry. I've always thought one of the greatest things he did as the world's best-known evangelist was set a standard of integrity, honesty, character, um, faithfulness that really was an example for all of us in the body of Christ. Well, and and— he reached out to people. He was not one of those people that pushed people away in the sense of, okay, this is, come here, do this, follow this. Right. He wanted people to know the Lord in a real and powerful way. And he got flack from people, too, because sometimes he'd have people on the stage that were more liberal or whatever, because for him it really wasn't about um, forcing purity on the body of Christ. It was communicating the gospel with clarity, wasn't it? Correct. He wanted people to hear what Jesus had to say. Uh, And he wasn't going to put the Lord into uh, a particular box that that the Lord couldn't get out of. He was basically going to share the gospel in its its full manifestation. And um, I remember going uh, to one of his... 
crusades in Fresno, California, and watching people. And I stood up at that one. I remember specifically saying, Lord, I'm recommitting my life right yeah, now. Yeah. And, and to see the people time after time after time just stream down, it was uh, truly uh, wonderful. Wonderful. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of what you've been doing when you were down uh, in Ecuador. Uh, and seeing what was taking place in the ministries that you are ministering to down there, as you shared with us in our men's group, about seeing the number of people come to the Lord yeah. week after week after week. It's, it's really wonderful. There's a revival going on in Ecuador, and when I preached there a few weeks ago, there were 100 people that made first-time commitments to Christ that and I don't have that happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, I've been preaching 40 years. I've never seen that many. But I also was working with an evangelist. So I preached the sermon. And when he was, when I was done, he gave the invitation. And that made a big difference. Just different people using their gifts together. Um, that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. Well, and it, it, in, in America today, um, it will be interesting to see, and I'm not sure you and I will see it in our lifetime, to where the Lord raises up another Billy Graham. Right, right. Yeah, because uh, he was unique. And and yet we have an opportunity. You and I were talking earlier about Facebook and Twitter and email. We have an opportunity to have a platform, each and every one of us, that can go viral. We could write something or say something that comes from the Lord and get it out there in a way that can touch people all over the world. Whereas previous generations didn't have that opportunity. You'd have to spend a lot of money buying a radio airtime or television time or whatever to have even close to the opportunity that we have in our lifetime. And a lot of times we think, well, I don't have a famous novel to write or I don't have this great thing to say, but I don't think we're supposed to try and be famous. We're just supposed to be obedient to whatever the Lord shows us to do. Well, and to be um, to be aware of opportunities. Yeah. That, that's the biggest thing uh, of really listening, because really, as I told you before, I'm not on Facebook and <laughs> I'm not on Twitter, um, because I think sometimes we get so caught up in in um, technology today that it it can be impersonal sometimes right. as opposed to meeting someone mm -hmm. and and sharing in their life um, I, I i i tell people that jesus said do unto others as you would have them do unto you and he meant it in a really really basic way yeah and it doesn't have to be Huge. It just has has to be something where we're listening to people and we can touch them. Um, and it doesn't mean that every person that you meet you're going to, you know, share the gospel with, but you're going to share uh, your compassion, and and hopefully that opportunity arises where you can share with them uh, with them about Jesus. Amen and amen. I you're that kind of guy. I remember playing golf with you a year or so ago and. And uh, my swing was pretty terrible, as usual. And, and you said, I'm, let me do a video of you. And I go, no, 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 no. And, and yet you went ahead and did it anyway, showed it to me, made your point, which is I didn't have a decent backswing. And ever since that day, it's changed my whole golf game. 
because you love me enough to say, I'm going to show you something, and even though you're not asking me to, you're going to be glad down the road. And that's really what doing unto others as you would have them do unto you is, isn't it? Exactly. Um, And we come in contact with so many people every day from so many different walks of life that um, (laughs) sometimes uh, just being there and and being kind and and listening mm-hmm. uh, as a gives us an opportunity. Yes, it does. So, Harvey, where did you develop a passion to be a real follower of Jesus? What, what age and and talk to us? Because I mean, you were also an athlete, and sometimes athletes love themselves more than anything else. <laughs> and, um, and you were very successful. You played uh, baseball at Stanford. You went on to the pros. Talk to us about your career and your faith and how those things develop. Uh, well, my career in baseball, um, like I said, I went to Stanford and uh, I was a pitcher. And um, I, I kid around, I still hold the record for the lowest ERA uh, or really? run average at Stanford. Uh, my senior year, I was 13 and 2 with a 1.1 ERA. Wow, that's fantastic. But then there should be an asterisk along with that because that was in the day of wooden bats and like my guess probably five years later they changed to metal bats and And what does that do to people's batting averages how much more effective are guys that are hitting with metal considerably more because the ball even though they've kind of adjusted the bats to try and take some of the pop out of them it's still the bats are lighter so well and there's there's more uh, hitting when, the, when when it comes off a metal bat, it's coming off. Pops. It pops off. Yeah. And, and there was a time when, the, you know, I, I would not have wanted to be a pitcher mm-hmm. uh, facing metal bats, but they've kind of backed off that now, so it's not quite as uh, significant of a, an advantage. Why do they do that? Why do they let the college guys use metal bats and the pros are back to wood? Why don't they ima- make it consistent? I can't imagine pros using metal bats it would be scary to be a pitcher oh yeah because strong as they are and with the way the metal bat can uh it's just so much more powerful Mm -hmm. um but then after i got out of stanford i spent four years with the angels and got a whistle stop in the big leagues yeah you got you also have a a perfect era in the big leagues don't you (laughs) yeah i pitched one game uh i came in in relief uh with the angels uh up in oakland Mm-hmm. So I got the opportunity to pitch against Reggie and Sal Bando and et cetera. And I, I was very fortunate. I pitched three innings in the middle of the game, and and somehow, some way, they didn't score off me. So my now, why ERA, didn't they? Why didn't they keep you? Give you another chance after that? Well, I, I pitched AAA the next year, um, and I think I, I came to the point, Mark, where I realized. Um, what <laughs> what my talent was, mm-hmm. and I didn't see myself. Let's see, I was twenty six or so, um, and, and I didn't see myself uh, being a big league pitcher. And uh, uh, but so what's real interesting about that one appearance, mm-hmm. um, to this day, and in fact, it just happened uh, this week. Uh, I get letters from people, uh, autograph collectors, to ask for my autograph because I pitched in the big leagues. Yeah. And 
what's really interesting about it is um, that's an opportunity for ministry because uh, what I do is they ask for my autograph and and I'll I'll sign it and and uh, like your baseball card is it or is it? it a- it's a three by five index card or in this case uh, the people they lived in uh, the Midwest mm-hmm. and uh, they included a baseball. Uh-huh. So I signed the baseball, and they asked me to date it, um, and I sent it back to them, and and I put in a little book uh, by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough. Yeah, that's a great so, little book. Yeah. So it gives me an opportunity with people who are asking something from me. Uh, share the Lord. To share them. the Lord. So it's a, it's... A, it's kind of unique, really. That's that's beautiful, Harvey. I'm glad you're doing that. And basically what you're doing is whatever God puts in your path, that's where you want to plant seeds for the kingdom, right? Correct. My guest is Harvey Shank. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more of Harvey after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. I'm talking to Harvey Shank, one of my good friends. Harvey and I have been in a men's group for a long time together. Um, Harvey, you've known Jesus for over 50 years, and yet you're still in a small group. We meet every week. We're sharing our lives. We get into the Word of God. Um, You've read the Bible through how many times, do you think, in your life? Guess. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, I've been reading it through the Bible now uh, for the almost 25 years every year. Yeah, so, and you had read it through a few yeah, times before that, so a lot of times. And yet you're still seeing new things, aren't you? There's still absolutely. things that God uses. And the reason I want to talk to you about your devotional time is that I find an unfortunate amount of people are not really reading the Word anymore. And as a result, when you don't know the Word of God— then you don't know the nature and character of God. Then you don't really know what love is, and you lack wisdom. And th- when when crises comes, you don't have the kind of depth of wisdom and knowledge and understanding that you need to deal with it. Well, uh, uh, this was probably 25 years ago. I was really struggling with some things, maybe even 30 years ago. And my sister, Margaret, who, Margaret and John live in, and I'll tell you a story about that in a second. They live in uh, out in Tempe. And she gave me a one-year Bible mm-hmm. for Christmas. And that made such a huge difference because I started reading the Word on a consistent basis. Yeah. And I've continued to 
to do that. Every day. Every day. Almost. And well, well, what, six out of seven days a week well, or whatever. And if for some reason we're traveling or something, yeah. I don't get an opportunity. But uh, pretty much every day. Yeah. So uh, that made such a huge difference. Just, you know, it's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. And I, I, love, I love the Psalms. But let me tell you uh, a quick story on how uh, the Lord... Uh, works miraculously. Um, my sister and brother-in-law uh, live in Tempe, John and Margaret Mason. And um, I went to Wheaton College my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played baseball and basketball back there. But I really, I had applied to Stanford out of uh, high school, didn't get in. I reapplied and got in as a transfer. So I transferred out to Stanford and I'm in the, uh, I play baseball there, and uh, one of the guys on the baseball team was also a fraternity brother of mine. His name was John Mason. And John was, he was a tight end, mm-hmm. played in the East-West Shrine game, dra- got drafted by the NFL and the AFL, uh, didn't go on to play uh, in the NFL or AFL because he hurt, him, hurt his neck in the, in the East-West Shrine game. Uh, but, but, while uh, at the fraternity house, John needed a date to a rush party. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lived in Redwood City, which is right next to Palo Alto. I called my sister, and she was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, Margaret, uh, you want to go to one of our rush parties? John Mason needs a date. And she said, sure. Well, they go to the rush party. John goes home that night, back to the fraternity house. He calls his parents in Pasadena, California, and says, I've met the girl I'm going to marry. Mm-hmm. And a year and a half later, uh, Margaret and John got married at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church by a wonderful pastor named Carrie Wissiger. And, and John had accepted the Lord when he was younger, but like a lot of us, yeah. kind of... Wandered Caught away. up in sports. and Well, yeah. they eventually moved to Phoenix, uh, and John Mason, he and I meet every Wednesday, just like yeah. our men's group meets every Thursday. John and I get together every Wednesday just to share and, and, and keep up. But John is one of the great Bible teachers. He was an engineer, a design engineer. Uh, he designed tank engines and aircraft engines, et cetera. Uh, but he's also... Uh, a man of God who knows the word inside and out. A man of God. But there's no question in my mind, I didn't go to Stanford to play baseball. I went to Stanford so that John and Margaret could get married. Yeah. Not any question whatsoever. And they've had an incredibly fruitful life oh, together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he and Margaret have had such an impact at a Grace Community Church in Tempe. It's just awesome. Wonderful. So, Harvey, you were sharing something with me that you read in the Psalms just today. You want to... Yeah, I was, I, I, was, um, I was just reading this morning, and uh, uh, I was just kind of struggling with some things. And I went, okay, i got to just turn back to Psalm 23, which I pretty much can quote, mm-hmm. but I wanted to turn back to it. And as I was turning back to it, I, I stopped at Psalm 27, And the first two verses of Psalm 27 are, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And those two verses, uh, my light, my salvation, my stronghold, just hit me this morning. You know, I was talking with one of my sisters, and she's been very anxious lately. She lost her job because the lady she was caring for died, and she had financial pressure, job change, marriage stress. And even though she's been sober, even though she's been trying to get her life together, she felt overwhelmed. And I said to her, her name's Katie. I said, Katie, you're an athlete. You're always in training. You you run, you swim, you bike ride. You take really good care of yourself that way. You've been sober, so you're taking care of yourself that way. But you're you're needing to be strengthened in the inner man. And that's where the battles of life get fought. That's where we deal with anxiety. And I find that even though I've been following Jesus for 45 years, I need to be continually strengthened in the inner man. Paul prayed for the the believers in Ephesus that God would strengthen them with power in the inner man through the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways he does that is when the word speaks to you. And the way the word speaks to you is you read it, and and you might read four or five psalms until you get to one verse. He says, the Lord is the strength of my life. And that's the word that actually strengthens you, right? Right. In fact, I I wrote those two verses on uh, a (laughs) post-it, and I put it on in my car, so it's there today so I can just constantly refer back. Right. And and some of our listeners need to hear that. The Lord is the strength of your life. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Who shall you fear? You've got a battle. And, and you're either going to be intimidated by those who oppose you or you're going to be trusting in the one who is for you, who said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If he who is... He who is for us is greater than he who is against us. Um, and I've shared this with you before in our in our men's in our men's group. Um, everybody's got faith. That, mm-hmm. That's when we start talking about religion. People think that's the only area of faith, but that's not it at all. Everybody has faith. It's a question of what do you put your faith in. Mm-hmm. An atheist has faith. He's got faith there is no God. An agnostic has faith, faith that I don't think I can really know for sure. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what's the, what's the bedrock of your faith? Mm-hmm. And um, the Bible and Christ gives us the solid rock. Right. So that when the storms come, not going to wash away the house. That's right. And sometimes we learn the truth of the Word of God because we go against it and we get the consequences. I've learned from my mistakes. I've learned from other people's mistakes. But I want to share another thing that came up in our men's group. One of the guys said last week, he said, I'm having trouble forgiving myself because this is a guy who made some mistakes. He blew up his marriage. He's getting back together. They're reconciling. But He's mad at himself for doing something stupid. Well, I've been mad at myself for doing things stupid, and almost everybody has sooner or later. But it's not really a matter of us forgiving ourselves. The Scripture said that Christ died in our place to cancel the debt of the word that is held against us because we violated the word. We have to have faith in what he's done for us 
not in our own ability to forgive ourselves. I, I think back to, yeah, I think it was in, in uh, Mark, um, when the guys bring this uh, guy who can't walk and they lower open, him. Up the, yeah. open up the ceiling and lower him down. And it just always comes back to what Christ said there when he looks at him and goes, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And uh, all the religious leaders go, that's blasphemy because he's basically saying he's God. Right. And, and then he says, well, which do you think is harder? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Just to show you that I can say that, he tells the man to get up and walk. And the guy gets up and picks up the pallet and goes out praising the Lord. I, I go back to when he says, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... Maybe more than sometimes we have to remind ourselves that our sins are forgiven. Yeah. We, well, you know, Abraham was called righteous because he believed God when God basically said, I've got a plan for you. I've got a destiny for you. And God was pleased when Abraham believed what God said. We need to believe what God says. We need to believe that what Jesus did for us was sufficient, that he did not fail. The only thing that would make Christ fail is if we do not believe what he's done and then we don't receive the grace that God wants to pour out. And that's not an excuse for us to go sin. That is actually the way that we receive everything that he wants to give us to transform our lives. My guest is Harvey Shank. We're going to find out a little bit more about the Phoenix Suns organization and what it takes to be successful in business when we come back. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. My guest is Harvey Shank. Harvey's the vice president of the Phoenix Suns. Harvey, one of the things that you've done over the years is mentor a lot of people. And uh, we're living in a day and age when people are sometimes insecure about their jobs. They, they go from one job to another. Or they're frustrated because they don't get promoted fast enough. Um, if you were talking to somebody a- about their career what would you say they're going to have to do to be successful in their career? What are some of the, the building blocks that you check to see or if they're in somebody's life? Well, when I, when I, and really what I do at the Suns now, Mark, my title is actually Senior Executive Vice President, which I kind of chuckle about. Uh, this is my 46th season yeah, uh, because it, it means man who plays lots of golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was responsible for... Um, the uh, marketing partnerships uh, for the major accounts that major accounts name on the building and Mm -hmm. and all the the sponsorship sales for most of the time that I was with the sons 
And then uh, Robert and Jerry made an agreement with me back in 2004, and I, I've been able to to be there and be a mentor, and and it, it, it's been great. Um, they there was a blessing. Um, so when I talk to when I talk to young people, um, it, it really is about uh, finding something that you can really. You, you look forward to going to work. Yeah. I can honestly say that virtually the whole time that I've been with the sons, I enjoy going to work. Uh, that is a, a gift from God. Work is a gift from God, isn't yes, it? it? It is. And when you can find something that you can really look forward to uh, going to, um, that, that's a, it's just huge in my opinion. Uh, it's a little different nowadays with the, with the millennials and um, they don't spend as long in a job <laughs> anymore. Uh, certainly uh, not to the point of being there for 40 plus years. And which um, can cost people too. People think that they're moving around just for upward mobility, but when you lack the long-term relationships or, or you're, lack the experience, you're, you're also missing something sometimes, aren't you? Yeah, because uh, they may leave too soon. Mm-hmm. Or they may be going somewhere where they, they think it's going to be a Grass whole lot is going to be greener. Um, so that's a lot of, of what I uh, What, what I happens do. behind the scenes in a basketball? You know, I mean, you're working five days a week, and you have nothing to do with the ball going through the hoop. Um, what are some of the things that are going on behind the scenes that people don't necessarily understand? Well, really, the uh, the people in the front office who are handling the business and the season ticket sales, et cetera, um, they're, they're eat, sleep, and drink what's going on. Um, and when you have a young man like Devin Booker score 70 points the other night. Uh, that helps everybody, Boston, doesn't it? That raises everybody's spirits for yeah. obvious reasons. The irony of it is that he scored 70 and and uh, broke Tom Chambers' uh, mark of 60 points in a game 26, 27 <laughs> years ago because it happened on March 24th, 1990. Really? So 27 years ago to the day, wow! Uh, Tom Chambers scored uh, 60 points in a game. So what happened in that game? Because I missed it. I was out of town. The Boston game? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we ended up losing. I think it was 130 to 120. But uh, Did he just get hot early well, on? Well, the second half, he just, he, he just it was unbelievable how the shots – that that he was making, he and, looking like Steph Curry were, or something. Oh, it was even everything you know, was going in, that. huh? Really, uh, and he was making tough shots. And uh-huh. I think he was twenty-one for forty from the from the field, and I think he made twenty-four out of twenty-six free throws. And and what's really interesting is I watched the game again on NBA TV when they replayed the game the mm-hmm. next night because it was so significant. It was the most number of points that had been scored in a game since Kobe Bryant got 81, and I think it was 11 years ago. Really? Uh, and, and put Devin in a, in a position where uh, Hall of Famers uh, yeah. have done what, you know, the Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, mm-hmm. 
uh, Kobe, uh, et cetera, uh, David Robinson. Um, so I was watching the game again on NBA TV, and uh, it was the commentators from uh, the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. It was so much fun listening to them because they were just, like, getting into it. And it was like, oh, look at and they were talking about the technical things that he was doing is about see how he put his arm up to give himself space. Uh-huh. And the amazing thing is here we are playing in the Boston Garden and those Boston fans are rabid. Mm-hmm. They so got into him scoring. They were encouraging him to shoot. Really? <laughs> and at, at the last three minutes of the, yeah. I think the last six minutes of the game, I think he scored 20 points. Wow. Yeah, he got to 50 and they were just like, and that's funny. And they were going crazy. There's they a, appreciated There was a picture the next day I saw of him walking off the court through the tunnel that they have where they go back to the locker room. And here he's being inundated by all of these Celtics fans, high-fiving him, trying to get his— Really? Because that was the most number of points that so had ever been scored in the Boston, in the Boston Garden. Wow. So wh- how much potential do you think he has? He's only 20 years old, isn't he? Only 20 he? years old. he got tremendous potential. That's the good thing about our team. We're so young. I think the other day we started five guys 21 and under, which was the first wow. time, I think, in history that that None of them would have been graduated from college if they had stayed in college. No. And how, how much college did Booker even have? One year? One year. And, and he came off the bench. In fact— he and John Calipari, the the coach uh, at Kentucky, kind of went back and forth afterwards. When uh, after he, he was scored a that. bench player, oh yeah, he came off the bench. He was wow. a, he was a freshman. Wow! So the prospects for the future are really strong because we're young. We're going to get a good mm-hmm. draft choice. Uh, Ryan McDonough, our our general manager, has got a real plan for uh, you know growing this team. Mm-hmm. We've got some solid players. And uh, I think the the future is bright. It's going to take a year or two for him to to really mature because it just takes time. Yeah, there's no quick way to get to now, the top, huh? Scoring seventy pretty much advances his his uh, track right now yeah. <laughs> because that's yeah. that was something that really was. That's really neat. So um, what you're what you're saying is that guys that want to advance their career, they're going to have to work hard, even as believers, right? They can't assume that, well, God loves me, my parents love me, therefore life should be easy. Oh, not at all. Um, I don't think you can find in the in the Word any kind of validation for that type of mm-hmm. uh, an approach. In fact, to the opposite, I think that uh, whether you're looking at Paul's life or Peter's life or any of the the, the guys that were leading the church back then, and through the years, you don't see uh, Christian leaders that are kind of expecting to to be taken care of. Yeah. You, you see them out front and 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 leading. And uh, there's nothing in the Word that that says, "Okay, just sit back." Now you're also a reader too. Um, how much reading do you do besides your daily Bible study? Um, you know, uh, in the last couple of months, I haven't been as much, but uh, I love reading. Uh, and um, <laughs> it, 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 there's, there's uh, Ray Steadman's book right now that I, it's a small book called Authentic Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm rereading that one. And I, as you know, you and I have some really interesting mm-hmm. discussions uh, over books. And uh, 
Well, a lot of people in our society, like I said, not only do they not read the Bible much, they don't read much um, because they're just into videos or video games or Netflix. And to me, that's such a loss. I mean, reading is a discipline, but it does something good for your mind and your heart, and it's a great way to grow spiritually, isn't it? It is, and um, unfortunately, with the Internet, sometimes we substitute that for reading. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it was um, C.S. Lewis that said, for every new book you read, you should read two old books. The classics, huh? The classics. Yeah, I have a tendency to be a junk reader because I'll read the Arizona Republic and the Wall Street Journal every day. And a lot of it, even though the Wall Street Journal has some real good columnists, it's still just speculating or, you know, fumigating on some subject or other. Well, let's face it right now, there's so much uh, going on in the political scene uh, in Washington that's... uh, you know, it's not like a time that we have seen. So you've been you've been politically aware for a long time, um, and you're concerned as well. How should we be praying for our country now and for our leaders? Boy, Mark, I think we need to be in prayer for for some sanity out of our leaders mm-hmm. in terms of how they're going about leading the country, because it just seems to be so polarized right yeah. now, and. Um, that that does not lead to positive things. Right. Um, the ends don't justify the means when the means are distortion and lies and attacking and tearing people down. And some people think that's the way politics has to be played. Some coaches think that's the only way to win games too, but that's been proven false by coaches like Bill Walsh or John Wooden, some of the greatest football, basketball coaches of all time. They learned how to build great teams, but with positive reinforcement and encouragement, knowing their game and declaring a truth and a plan that people could really buy into and believe in. Well, to be uh, a really great coach, you have to have players who will follow you and mm-hmm. listen and 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 believe in what you're doing because if they're not trusting in what you're doing uh, it's going to be hard for the team to be a success my guest is harvey shank stay tuned we'll be right back to wrap up this show after these messages i'm mark buckley from living streams and i'm glad you've stayed with us Well, I'm so glad you've been with us today, Harvey. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, Your passion is to know the Lord, to know his word, and to let him use you. What would you like to say to our listeners as we wrap up the show? Well, I'd just like to 
to say that I'm fortunate to know you, Mark, and to see your faithfulness over the years to Living Streams Church and to the reality of what you bring um, in, in terms of representing Christ. Because for those of you that don't know Mark, uh, there's no airs about Mark. Mark is, he's right out there for everybody to see and he doesn't put on any airs and he is just one of those people that I consider such a good friend and a mentor. And I, I am, uh, if I can bring forth those things in my life that I see in yours, then I am really uh, going to be a blessing to people. And the, and the last thing that I would like to say is I want to go back to uh, faith. Everybody's got faith. So the question for those people who are listening, uh, who are you putting your faith in? Are you putting your faith in yourself? Because if you're putting your faith in yourself, you will fail yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, as well as for you, our faith is in the living Christ. Amen and amen. Harvey, thank you. I wasn't expecting you to say that, but I really appreciate your friendship and your love. You've been the kind of man who stayed faithful to the Lord and to the local church. And so whatever we've done, we've done together because nobody bears fruit on their own. We bear fruit when we abide in Christ when we love one another, that's what the church is all about. I hope you'll stay faithful to your church and to our Lord. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you ever want to join us, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale, 9:15 and 11 on Sundays. Look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. Um, and may the grace of God shine brightly in your life.